Today we're going to begin a four-week sermon series called Behold the Lamb. Our text for this journey is Matthew, the 24th chapter, all four weeks, Matthew 24. It's a, it's a passage known as the Olivet Discourse, and uh, it's where Jesus is with his disciples on the Mount of Olives and uh, speaking about the end of the age. In fact, the Greek in the trans, if you, if you go back to the original language, the Greek actually uses a marriage term. It doesn't say the end of days, it says the consummation of days. I don't know if you ever get this question. Maybe, uh, maybe I, because I'm a pastor, I get this question a lot. But people ask me, you think we're in the end times? You ever, you ever? Well, let's put it this way. Do you think we're close to the return of Christ? I think I'm going to go out on a limb and I say, I think we probably are. That's as stable of a, as a limb as I get, right? No. No, I think we are. There's signs all around us. It's almost like God is using a megaphone to people who will listen. Before we look at the passage, I just want to give you a, a few things as a background, if you will, to, to understand end times and this passage of Scripture. If you've been around here for a while, you understand, I've, I've talked about these things before, but I want to use them as a prelude to this passage of Scripture. One, um, back in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, uh, the Lord speaks out and He says that the, the feast, the Jewish feast, will be my appointed days, is what He says. He, he didn't establish Jewish feasts for Jews to have parties all year long. He established Jewish feasts to communicate to us prophetically, these are my appointed times. And there's those in the spring and there are those in the fall. And there's a long period of time between them that there is no feast. So the spring feasts we know are associated with the first coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, because he actually died on the feast of Passover, right? He rose from the, I mean, it was the exact day. It wasn't just in the area of it. It was the exact day. We also know that Jesus rose from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits, on the exact day. We also know that Jesus sent his Holy Spirit at the Feast of Shavuot, which is the Feast of Pentecost, we may know it as, on the exact day. Coincidence, right? Or a plan. And then there's the fall feasts, which pertain to the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Rosh Hashanah, which is just three weeks from today, is the Feast of Trumpets. Is there a trumpet at the end of days? Yes, and it's the beginning of the Jewish New Year. It's the beginning of something new, <laughs> followed by Yom Kippur, the Feast of Atonement, where there is this final deliverance of Christ for His church, followed by the Feast of Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, where they would build tents for people, for the, for the Spirit of God to come and live with, tabernacle with literally us. Also, you can look at recent, some recent events. Uh, how many of you remember September 2001? What a month. We had the terrorist attacks and the stock market was closed. The financial markets, uh, when, they back, when they opened back up, they suffered their biggest one-day point loss in history, and it was on Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. Seven years later, 2008, well... 
we didn't do enough in 2001, so we're going to have a financial collapse in 2008. And at that point, now we have the next. Now it sets a new record, the biggest point loss. And it falls exactly on what day? Rosh Hashanah. And if God wasn't communicating enough, he let the Dow Jones, probably the most watched index in the world, fall 777.7 points. Do you understand? Seven years later, we're at uh, 2015, and uh, you may have heard about those uh, blood moons that everybody was talking about, you know, 2014, 2015. We had one on Passover 2014. We had one on the final day of Sukkot 2014. And the same two days in 2015 only happened a few times in history. It's always associated with significant Jewish events. So you have 2001, 2008, 2015, every seven years. Did you know that the Jewish calendar is built around a cycle of seven years? And seven cycles of seven is 49 years, and the 50th year was always the year of Jubilee. Man, this is a smart crowd today. Okay. I'm going to have to up my game a little bit here, I think. Did you know that there are those who have calculated the math uh, with it and says that we are coming near the end of the 70th, 50-year cycle since the first Passover. Now, that's just all a bunch of coincidence, right? Let's say it is. Let's say we're nowhere near the end. Scripture teaches us that we ought to live as though he were coming back now. And folks, I'm telling you, the signs of the times are everywhere. Everywhere. My intent is that we, as we walk through this chapter is not to line out for you a eschatology and sequence of events. I'm not going to set a date of the rapture. I know some of you are wondering. I don't see that as the intent of Jesus in this passage. This is, these are the words of Christ. Uh, Jesus was talking to some of his disciples about the end of the age. It's a, it, it's a passage of, of spiritual preparation, of warning, what to look for. He's telling his church that in the end times, if you're not ready, there's, there, there's going to be this massive desertion from the church. There's going to be the breakup of the community of believers. There's going to be this lack of love. And there's going to be this widespread deception of the bride. So here's the passage. I'm going to look at the first 14 verses today. Uh, Before I read it, I just got to tell you, I mean, I'm just scratching the surface. There's so much in this passage. Um, I mean, I could probably talk three hours on these 14 verses, and I've whittled it down to about an hour and a half, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, We'll dismiss some of you in 30 minutes. The rest of you can stay. No, I'm just kidding. Here's the passage. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away with it when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. How? That's just so us, isn't it? 
look, God, look at what we've built. And Jesus says to them, do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. That happens in 70 A.D. That was startling to the disciples. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, that's the the Olivet Discourse is why it's called that, the disciples came to him privately, stunned by the comment he made about the temple, I'm sure, saying, tell us, because when the temple is destroyed, this has got to be the end. So tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end or the consummation of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars, and see that you are not frightened. For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. This is really going to happen, you know. I think that's the first thing we've got to really, this is really going to happen. First thing Jesus says when his followers ask about the end times, to me, is just striking. The first words he says are, see to it that no one misleads you. That's the introduction to this discourse. You see, truth is your refuge. Truth is your refuge. Truth is your safe place. Your home is not your safe place. Your bank account is not your safe place. Truth Stay in the Word of God. Feast on the Word of God. Know the Word of God. Live in the Word of God. Because in it, the fruit of the very life of Christ is flourishing through you and allows you this refuge, this place of safety that the world cannot touch. Wouldn't you like a place that the world can't get into? (laughs) Jesus said it himself. He says, I am the truth. Because widespread deception of the church will happen as the end approaches. And it uh, obviously it can happen in overt ways, but I think more often than not it happens in very subtle ways. 
you know, it's, it's like, I, I think a couple of times in my life I have gone uh, archery shooting. I don't, I don't think you say it that way, do you? I took a bow and I pulled the arrow and shot it, right? Any archers? You know what I mean? Yeah, some of you are really good. Um, but all I realized, the times that I went, that is if I moved the bow just every little bit, the further the arrow got away from my bow, the more off-target it got. It's all about trajectory. And so a, a subtle deception in your life, if you just kind of incorporate kind of a modern version of Christianity with biblical Christianity, you begin to just kind of get a little off-center. And the more you go down that path, the further away you get from what is really, really true. And that's, in so many ways, the, the, the situation with the church as it approaches the end times. They've begun to subtly worship things like personal peace, personal prosperity, personal security. And they begin to look for leaders who can calm their lives, protect their money, and keep them safe. They've begun to look to man instead of God. Another thing I hear all the time is this coming election is the most important election, perhaps the most important event in our lifetimes. I want to say, really? Really? You say, I serve the living God. You say this election is the most important thing that's ever happened? You see... You see how the, the, the massaging of the American psyche has gone to where it's as if we have placed our peace, our prosperity, and our security in the hands of people or the government. There's this subtle deception. I hear it all the time, even from Christians. How important. Everything is at stake. <sighs> they, If we get the right person, they're going to have all the answers and... Uh, we can trust him. We can't trust him. We can trust him. Okay, I'm here to tell you, neither Trump nor Biden will be our deliverer. Okay? Just out with it. They're not going to be our problem solver. They're not going to be our savior. That job has already been taken. Amen? Amen? His name is Jesus. The church needs to embody that. The church needs to know that. The church needs to live that because I hear throughout the church, oh, I hope he wins. Jesus reigns over all of it. And Jesus said it. See to it that no one misleads you. He's talking to his bride. He says, many will come claiming I am the Christ. You have to understand, that's not weirdos that say, I'm Jesus. No, that's not that. That's not what that means. Many will, the word Christ is the word for Messiah. The Messiah is that he who comes and delivers and rescues. There are going to be many who come in the end days who will say, I can rescue you. I can fix your problems. I have the answers that you're looking for. Vote for me. Read my books. Attend my church. 
in verse 11, he does talk about this, that this happens in the church. False prophets will arise and they'll deceive many. In the last days, leaders will claim they can save you. Do we see any of that going on in the culture today? Leaders who say, I'm the answer to your problems? Maybe you've heard this. Just listen to the scientists. They know what we need. False prophets in the church claiming some kind of mixed modern theological perspective that Jesus has come to make your earthly life constantly peaceful and unlimited with prosperity and worldly security always for you. And they use the name of Jesus to peddle a false doctrine that people are drawn to because all they want in the end times is to maintain their calm, wealthy, secure lives. And they'll flock to hear those that will speak to that. Paul wrote this to his protege, Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, he says, For the time will come, speaking of the end times is what he's doing here, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they, have accumulate, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. You know, as a preacher, that passage just makes me shudder. And I, I've prayed often, and I hope you pray for me. Don't let him be a tickler. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you the truth or I can make you feel good. <laughs> I think you want the truth. And here's the truth. God has not promised us ease and comfort in this world. But here's the truth. He is very, very good. And His grace is beyond measure. And His grace is for all who believe. And he has gone to prepare another place for us in his father's house so that one day the trumpet can sound and he can come and he can take us all home so that we can go inside the room and the door will be shut and we can feast and celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. I can't wait for that day. And as the bride, we have the grave clothes ready. <laughs> you know, in the passage I read, it talks a lot about scary things. There's going to be wars, and there's going to be rumors of more wars. There's going to be famines and earthquakes, and this last week we'll throw in a hurricane, right? And Jesus says there's going to be an increasing pressure on the church. 
It'll erupt into persecution. Now, <laughs> parenthetically, let me just state here that some of you are thinking, I thought we escaped everything bad. Uh, let me tell you something. I truly believe that we will escape the wrath of God. I think we'll escape, and I think the wrath of God is poured out during the time of tribulation. I do believe that we will be spared that wrath, but we will not be spared the wrath of man. It's a good way of thinking about it. Because of the cross, we will be spared the wrath of God, but we will not be spared the wrath of man, and the wrath of man is persecution. And it says when the, when the temperature gets turned up, that the, it says in verse 10, many of the church will, will desert, leave, fall away whatever term you want to use. And uh, it even says that you'll betray one another. He's talking to the church. You'll, you'll turn on one another and you're going to hate one another and, uh, because people will be so afraid. I mean, fear has an amazing power, doesn't it? If you can just scare people, you can get them to comply with just about any government order. why in verse 6, Jesus tells his followers, again, see to it that you are not frightened. You see, fear opens the door to deception. If you're afraid, you'll believe anything that anybody says that will, that will help you feel better. And we have seen it in our own culture where fear is used as a as a catalyst for behavioral compliance. Now, let me under, understand this. Fear is different than being prudent and wise. Where you gather information, you pray about it, you ask the Lord as the steps He would have you take, and you follow through with those steps. Fear, on the other hand, leads to irrational action. I've used this quote from C.S. Lewis before, uh, but I love it. Uh, he's talking about the age. This is many, uh, it's back written when I was a kid. It's talking about the nuclear threat of the Cold War. Um, okay. How many of you remember the nuclear threat of the Cold War? How many of you remembered that when we were kids that we could escape nuclear bombs by hiding under the desk? That was great, wasn't it? C.S. Lewis writes this about fear of that day. He says, this is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. <laughs> if we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. I'm sure it's a pint of lemonade, right? Okay. 
He's British. What do you expect, right? He goes on, not huddled together like frightened sheep thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, parenthetically, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. Amen. When you're afraid, you will believe the people who make you feel most comfortable or secure, even if they're lying to you. Fear is deadly. That's why he says, see to it, my bride, that you are not frightened. The scripture is awesome because it gives us an antidote for fear. Over in 1 John 4, look at this passage. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. You see, abiding in Christ is living a life consumed by the love of God, and that love is security. That love is the completion of all things in our life. He uses the word that we are perfected in that love. And that word perfect is the Greek is the teleos word, which it really means you are made complete and whole, nothing else needed. That's what it means. It doesn't mean perfect behavior. It means that you have been fulfilled, nothing else required because you have the very love of God in us. It casts out fear. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in the love of God. We sing that song around here. That's just what the love of God does. It casts out this fear because He is everything. We have nothing else we treasure to lose. Take our money, right? I have Him. Take my stuff, take my retirement. Take my life. I live in the love of God, and I, you can't ever take that from me, world. And fear is the expression of doubt that God is enough because fear arises when we think we have something so valuable that we cannot bear to lose it, and it's not Him. I need God, but I also need safety. I need God, but I also need enough food to eat. I need God, but I also need blah, blah, blah. I cannot tell you, bride of Christ, how important this is. Because he says when the end of times come, there will be, the church will be so much invested in things other than me that when the pressure gets turned up, they will turn on one another. 
the casualty of fear is always love. And he's speaking about the church, that they will betray one another, hate one another. Their love will grow cold. Community is destroyed as Christians become obsessed, obsessed with personal preservation. I'm going to ask you a question. Don't raise your hand. How many of you know people who we would call preppers? I said don't raise your hand. Really don't raise your hand. How many of you are preppers? You know what I mean? They got a safe place to go in case the nuclear bombs start falling, right? They got enough... uh, food and water to last a millennium, and uh, right? They are ready. It's, it, it's actually kind of good to know a prepper. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being a prepper, right? Nothing wrong with that. My prayer is, that everyone in the sound of my voice is a spiritual prepper. We're ready. We may be the generation that lives out these verses. If I had to bet on it, probably are. If I lost everything... If I'm persecuted, if it becomes illegal to be a Christian, but I still love my friends. I ask myself, would I give my last loaf of bread to my friend, knowing that means he would survive and I wouldn't? Would I lay my life down For you. And Jesus said in John 15, greater love has no one than this. <laughs> that what? He laid down his life for his friends. None of us have had to do that because you're all here. <laughs> what if it's required? And I pray about this and I ask, is our community, is our church, is our body... This bride of Christ, is our love for one another, our bond so real that the enemy can turn up the pressure as hard as he as hot as he wants, and we will still love one another. It's not every man for himself when it comes to the church, folks. We are a bride together of the living God. And he says, to endure, remain in his love, and you will be saved. Because I, your groom, count on it. I'm coming. I'm coming for you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just love you today, and I am so grateful for this life that has rescued us out of the dominion of darkness and granted us the very goodness and grace of God.
that we may live above the fray of the day. And there is so much going on in our world, Father. So many voices calling for our allegiance, our fellowship. And Father, I am praying today for the resiliency of the church to just gather into you, to refuse to be led astray, to refuse to put any hope in mankind, any hope in our wealth, any hope in our lifestyles, any hope in anything but you, Father. May we be prepared, not only within ourselves, but may we grow in our love for one another. May we love each other so completely and so fully and so consistently that when the enemy tries to drive wedges between us and when the temperature gets hot, that there will just be this, uh uh-uh. That's my brother. That's my sister. I love them. I'm not going to be one of those Matthew 24 who fall away, who betray, who hate. Uh -uh. (laughs) Lord, I pray for us as we journey through this passage of Scripture in this chapter. And uh, I pray, Father, for... Yeah, I pray that we would understand some things and learn some things, Father, but... Most of all, the spirit of the chapter, the spirit that was in your heart, Jesus, when you spoke these things, that we may grasp it, we may understand it in in light of the cultural context in which we live today, Father. And I pray that every single one of us here will be present at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Father, if there's anyone here who has not come to faith in you, Father. I pray that this would be their day, that they would say, you know, I want to be there. I want to be invited to that. I want to be one of the guests at the marriage supper. I want to be part of the bride. And yes. They can in this moment just come to you in believing faith and say, Lord, I believe in you for my salvation. Come and wipe my sins away that I may be ever in your presence, secured in your grace. pray for salvation to settle in that we may be able to (laughs) recognize the signs of the times in which we live and look forward with great expectation to the living Christ who one day will come on the clouds of glory and claim us as his very own and we will forever live in his eternal glory. Father, we praise you and glorify your name. In Christ Jesus we pray these things. Amen. 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 Lift up your heads, church. O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory.